Hello and welcome back to episode 32 of the Game Biz Podcast. I'm your host, Poe. All right, let's get through the housekeeping first, shall we? So recently I've landed myself a full-time job for a video game research firm. And that means I'm going to be doing like sales and analysis work for them. So what this means is that depending on the workload, this podcast may not still be a weekly thing. So I'll be saying I'm sorry in advance, but you know, I'll still be around the social media if anyone's interested. I'm at GameBizPod on Twitter. Second, you may see this episode and you know wonder how come there isn't a new segment this week at all. Well, I've actually, you know, I've been meaning to cover this week's topic as a new news item last week. But then last minute I decided that, oh, it, it was substantial enough in size to be like a topic itself. Furthermore, there just wasn't really any news this week that I thought I really wanted to cover. As you might know, the biggest thing this week was Gamescom, which a lot of great, great looking games were announced. But I didn't feel like just recapping without adding anything would be worth your guys' time. But to briefly say it, I mean, if you guys want to know my thoughts on Gamescom was that Jeff once again did a great job planning and then hosting the opening night live. It would be nice if there wasn't the, you know, the weird award segment because shouldn't that be for the games awards and also the sponsors spot were always awkward. But, you know, I know that can be helped since you got to have someone to pay the pay for the bills. And games that caught my interest is for sure Cult of the Lamb, uh, Midnight Fight Express, Dok V, and Sifu, which appeared many times before, but now they have a release date now, so that's good. Also, um, it seems like every game in the industry got delayed away from Q4 2021 all the way to Q1 2022, so it's going to be you know extra stacked at the beginning of next year. I feel like we are all at the final evolution for game release dates, you know, no longer are games and publishers feel the need to be bound by the holiday events to, you know, for publishers to publish their games to sell well. Now games will have 365 days available release dates. All that matters is looking out for competitor games releasing close to your games as release. Anyways, let's start the topic of the week, shall we? So last week, I found an article by Sean Hollister at The Verge who compiled and sorted over 800 documents from the Epic v. Apple lawsuit and released over like 100 things they learned from reading all the documents. So first of all, thank you, Sean, for all your hard work that I'll be using here. Um, There are a lot of very interesting discoveries here to read, and I'll make sure to have a link to this article so you can catch, catch up on everything. Of course, I'll be focusing on the gaming-related discoveries as this is a gaming-focused podcast, but there's actually a lot of other things revealed through the lawsuit that I think everyone everyone will you know, have some interest in it one way or another. To start things off, I'll even tell you the numbers you know, so you can find it on the list uh, later. Number 33, Microsoft believes Tencent is the biggest gaming company in the world with $20 billion in revenue, bigger than Activision, Blizzard, EA, and Nintendo combined. In the presentation slideshow from May 2020, Microsoft revealed that they think the biggest competitor in the video game industry is Tencent. On the other hand, they weren't concerned with Epic Game Store or Google Stadia yet. Obviously, I can't prove any of this myself. The picture on the slide depicts the amounts 
of adjusted gaming revenue for calendar year 2019. All the companies listed were censored, with number one listed as 19.4 billion, which, you know, I assume is that's 10 cents, and number two being 11.6 billion, and number three being 9.5 billion. So, quite a disparity from first to second place indeed. One thing to keep in mind though, 2019 was not the strongest year for Nintendo in terms of game releases. They had Fire Emblem Three Houses Link's Awakening Remake and Luigi's Mansion, which compared to the previous year with Smash Bros Ultimate, Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee, and Octopath Traveler. Number 34. Microsoft estimated Sony PlayStation Now Cloud Gaming Service was already pulling in 359 million in 2019. Again, from the same presentation slides, it shows Sony's profile along with each segment labeled as first-party software, third-party software, console subscriptions, cloud streaming, and cloud uh, console hardware. Cloud streaming was listed as the lowest at 359 million with adjusted revenue being 273 million. Now, what I found interesting was that the console subscriptions margin was 51%, which is lower than first-party console margins of 66, but also lower than third-party console margins at 54%. You know, I, I just wonder what factors go into the costs for the PS Plus margins. You know, is it like the games they strike deals with in order to have them to be like free games for the PS Plus services? Or is it like something where it's not just the PS Plus and other subscription service involved and maybe that the cost over there is, you know, pulling the margins down. Could be either one. Or it's something else. Anyways, number 36, Tim Sweeney was inspired by how Tencent got around Play, uh, Google Play with its WeChat app. Quote, this is exactly the process Tencent followed to bypass Google Play with WeChat, which they soon opened up as a game distribution platform. The sooner we can get, we can free ourselves from Apple Store distribution monopolies, the better. And the Fortnite launch on Android seemed seems to me the one moment in time when we have sufficient gamer excitement to launch successfully and build up a huge gamer base. End quote. This was by Tim Sweeney, by the way. Number forty. If Fortnite's numbers are representative, Europe prefers PlayStation to Xbox by four to one ratio. So this slide shows the graphical differences in daily active users separated by Europe region and NA region with each console or system represented by their colored lines showing the fluctuation of players playing Fortnite at that time. NA showed PlayStation as number one but was closely followed by Xbox users with iOS, Switch, PC, and Android much below in that order. What was surprising was that the European graph which shows PlayStation again at number one, but Xbox was nowhere in sight. And then it was followed by a huge gap down with PC, then Xbox, then Switch, iOS, and Android in that order. Mind you, this was in 2019. And at that time, we already knew PlayStation was sitting comfortably at first place spot and Microsoft quietly building out its services um, with backwards compatibility, Game Pass, and you know all the other features, cloud and stuff like that. So they've already given up at that point in time on the Xbox One, and I believe they're waiting for the next generation, which is a series consoles to come. Still though, the disparity is an eye opener, and I do wonder what the new generation of consoles users in Europe looks like now, in terms of, I guess, in terms of Fortnite. Number 42. 
Microsoft Xbox chief Phil Spencer is trying, still trying to bring the company's cloud game service xCloud to other consoles. In an email follow-up to Tim Sweeney's heads-up spoiler for the hashtag free Fortnite campaign targeting Apple and Google, Phil replies with saying that he hasn't given up on xCloud on other consoles. Uh, consoles free-to-play outside of gold, which they will get there, and they want to partner with Epic on that and store entitlement ideas as items. So this was back in August 6th of 2020. Now recently, Phil mentioned in an interview that the Game Pass idea definitely won't be happening on other walled-off consoles like Nintendo and PlayStation. And from that, I think I can say that probably that implies the same with xCloud 2. However, we do know that um, the the Steam Deck, which will be released sometime at the end of the year, will indeed, you can run xCloud and Game Pass and anything on that as well, if you want. And they have indeed actually removed the barrier for requiring Xbox Live Gold to play free-to-play titles since April of this year. Not sure what the store entitlements as items mean exactly there. Uh, number 49, Epic quietly tested reducing its Fortnite prices in Denmark before it sprung the Project Liberty trap. Epic argued in July of 2020 that by bypassing Apple and Google's cut, it could pass the savings along to consumers with 20% lower prices on mobile platforms. But first, Epic decided to find out what it had to lose. They had Denmark as a test with Norway as the control. The test in Denmark showed it might actually lose 10.8% on average per day per user to converge an increase of 15.2% of purchases per player day for a projected impact of $234 million. Because they are still losing over 20% of revenue per transaction there. So it seems to me that, you know, that what I just said, the previous argument that, you know, they could pass the savings along to customers if they could just lower the prices on mobile platforms by 20% if they bypass the cuts doesn't seem like a good idea anymore. Number 50. Epic argued the future of augmented reality was at stake in its legal fight. In a presentation to Epic's own boards of directors in July of 2020, the company listed four reasons why Epic believed, quote, the time is now, quote, end quote, to fight Apple and Google. The top reasons was, the top reason was redacted, but the other two were, Quote, Fortnite's all-time high user base plus the Marvel season and concerts adds pressure to Apple and Google, end quote. And, quote, growth is predict predicated on user-generated content, stronger creative revenue share from lower mobile platform fees, end quote. The last one was odd, which says, quote, solve this problem before AR takes off and that rate is set at 30%, end quote. So I did some digging and I found that they have been developing Unreal Engine with, you know, tools for extended reality development, which includes AR, VR, and MR, which MR is stands for mixed reality. They've also announced just one month after this slide on July 21st to acquire Sketchfab. And I remember covering this news back then. So Sketchfab, if you don't remember, is a platform that lets you view, share, and download 3D models via traditional monitors and AR, VR headsets. In a blog post announcing the acquisition, Sketchfab says it aims to make 3D, AR, and VR content more accessible and it grows and grow its creator ecosystem, something it says is, quote, 
critical to an open and interconnected metaverse, end quote. And we all know how Tim Sweeney loves the metaverse, don't we? Number 51. This is just a fun one, but I'm sure you've heard from somewhere that, you know, Nintendo's say they don't associate themselves with the Yakuza, right? Well, that's actually real, because there's a court document here that states that Nintendo doesn't allow its Japanese game partners to work with the Yakuza. The agreement here shows that your content provider, located in Japan, must not be and will not be an anti-social force. They then outlined the definition of such anti-social force, which basically is the Yakuza. Okay, number 90. As of March 2020, mobile only accounted for 6.58% of Fortnite's revenue and less than a tenth of the game's daily active users. We learned this a while ago when information regarding the documents from the lawsuit was revealed, but now we have the data points from the official documents to see for ourselves. In terms of user base across all platforms, mobile represents 10% of daily active users, or 2.6 million of the 26.2 million total daily active users for this one time that you know they have captured the data. Consoles have 20.7 million and PC has 2.9 million. Honestly though, PC has way less than I thought and the console market is whew, super massive. The next point is connected as well. Number 91 states that 6.58% is actually one of the higher peak data points according to Epic's own monthly user data. iOS numbers have been declining since April months months and months before Apple pulled the game. So I guess all of this from Apple about how Fortnite would be losing massively if it weren't on the Apple Store is actually really just all wrong. The real moneymaker here for Epic and Fortnite are the consoles, more specifically on the PlayStation. Well, you know, they need the cash. They need actually each other since Fortnite is one of PlayStation's biggest performing titles as well. This explains so much why Sony caved for Epic's crossplay scheme and Epic caved for Sony's own unique revenue share model because they both need each other to make more money. So there are more ways here to negotiate and make things work. In the case with Epic v Apple um, lawsuit is obvious how it's obvious now that Epic doesn't care all about their opportunity cost with fighting Apple because they deem that the revenue is worth losing if it meant for the possible future of lower, lowering the barrier of revenue share on mobile platforms. In addition, number 93 says the data does suggest iOS users didn't actually play there a lot. While iOS had the largest number of Fortnite accounts on any platform at 115 million, iOS only accounted for just 4.4% of all Fortnite playtime through July 2020, according to an Apple expert's accounting for accounting of Epic's number. And while that might largely be people briefly trying Fortnite on iOS and never picking, uh, picking it up again, iOS users spend 89.8% of their Fortnite playtime and 86.8% of their money elsewhere. Number 94, while number 93 is true, it seems that iOS and Android were in fact used as a gateway for new players. While iOS and Android only had 6% and 4% retention rates as of March 2020, compared to the 21% for Switch and 16% for PS4, Epic wrote that mobile drove 38% of new Fortnite users' accounts 
in 2019 and that 15% of mobile players go on and try on consoles later. Next is number 98. You can see Epic's entire 2018 and 2019 profit and loss and forecast for 2020, including how Fortnite made a staggering $9 billion in its first two years, which is the 2018-2019. So I took a deeper look and I found, just to find something interesting, uh, I found that Epic Game Store made $2 million in 2018 and $233 million in 2019. Granted, it only made $2 million in 2018 because it launched on December 6th of 2018. But if you go down a little, it shows that Epic Game Store and Marketplace costs. So for 2018, it was $14 million, which is seven times the amount they actually made in that year. And for 2019, showed $465 million, which is actually twice the amount they earned for that year. The next slide shows from explaining the discrepancies in their own plan versus actual results, which what was funny was that they went in the red for their esports. You know, they spent $214 million and still came out, um, you know, a negative of $154 million. And then they just labeled as, quote, overestimated esports opportunity, end quote. You know, I, I remember how wild back then, like, the esports events were for the world, for Fortnite specifically. But I guess they thought that they would have made more profit than, and, you know, I guess they were wrong. Okay, and number 99. Epic revealed some rare Unreal Engine numbers, too. At the end of 2019, Epic revealed in a confidential email that it had 320,000 monthly active users for Epic, Epic's Unreal Engine, 9.7 million downloads, and over a quarter of its roughly 2,000 employees work on the Unreal Engine team. Epic has revealed during the trial that it actually has 3,200 3, employees now. In addition, this can't really be compared, by the way, because it, there was a one-year time difference. But last year in August, Unity uh, revealed that their game engine had 1.5 million monthly active users or developers, though Unity did say that they have never, ever made a profit since the very beginning, which is like most growth-focused tech companies these days, basically. And number 102, GTA 5 enticed over 7 million users to try the Epic Game Store. This was one that I really want to see for myself. So back then, I when I covered this, the free games list that was revealed only had the first nine months of the free games data. And I knew, I knew a game like GTA 5, you know, being free would, you know, be a big impact, would be a, you know, a big game changer. And it was because Epic had its single biggest day in Epic Game Store history on May 14th, 2020 which it made GTA 5 free to claim with over 7 million people either signing up for an account or taking their first action on the store that day. Epic saw over 15 million daily active users on the, day, on the store that day too, this, uh, despite an 8-hour outage there. Interestingly, it was, the only, it was only the company's second biggest sales day though, grossing roughly $6.5 million. The biggest was the launch of Borderlands 3 with Epic grossed 14 million in one day, though Epic had to pay 10 times that to secure PC ex exclusivity. Now, the other thing that wasn't really revealed here is how much did Epic pay Rockstar or, you know, uh, 2K for the GTA 5 game to be released for free. I wonder about that. 
Must be huge, I'm guessing. And lastly, number 104, Epic offered $200 million to Sony to bring four to six of its PlayStation games to the PC game store, and Epic was approaching Microsoft too. This too was mentioned in a report a while ago, but now we have a slide showing Epic's individual tactics for each console maker. Of course, with Sony there, we're offering uh, $200 million for 46 first-party games. For Microsoft, they were opening up conversation, but they noted that PC Game Pass is one of their direct competitors and that they're essentially bidding against them on that. And also, Phil meets with Gabe at Valve occasionally, I guess. And of course, for Nintendo, they just said this was a non-starter and would be a moonshot onto itself. So it seemed like the best bet here was to approach Sony on this deal. Granted, this could be a reason for why Sony's recent, you know, couple, one, two years new approach was for putting their older first party titles on PC. Right now, we already have Horizon 1 and Days Gone on PC. And most recently, the leak showed that um, Uncharted 4 should be coming to PC in the future, too. All right, that is quite a lot of new information I've covered in whatever amount of time this has been going for. But remember, there are like 90 other new things you could be learning from this article. Once again, thank you to Sean Hollister for, you know, gathering and writing this article for me to use. Not just for me, but, you know, thank you nonetheless. And with that said, I'll end it here today. Thank you all for listening. If you wish to follow me, you can find me at GameBizPod on Twitter. Tune in next week for another or, you know, maybe not. And I'll see you later. Bye.